0: Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist Laura Stewart.
1: Everyone, and welcome back to the show. So excited to have you all here this week. We have another exciting, exciting show planned. I can't speak today um sean <laughs> i have a new producer as well i want everybody to welcome sean to good the show. morning laura how are you doing it's so great to have you here working with me i'm excited this um, is our first
0: time working together it
1: is i'm really excited shane um had an amazing opportunity he could not pass up and i'm so proud of him and excited for him and i'm just excited to have you here with me so thanks. Well, for thank being you so board. much all right. So everybody, that's that's our, our new producer, and uh, just give him lots of support, and uh, you never know, I may bring him into the show at any point in time if I see a crazy expression on his face with what my guest is talking about. And and today we've got one of my co-writers of my the book that I'm in, Decisive Women, Designing Decisions in Five Minutes or Less, that Dr. Nancy Fox put together that I'm so honored to be a part of. It's the first anthology book I've actually contributed to that was not a technical book that I had been asked to write a technical topic on. And um, my guest today is Denver Boye Haynes, and she's a writer, speaker, and public relations professional with more than 20 years of experience working as a spokesperson, media consultant, and planner for the Department of Defense. I mean, that's just kind of insane. And the federal government. I mean, that to me is... Dealing with spokesperson and media consultant for the federal government. That's an insane job, Denver. Um, In uh, the book, Decisive Women, Deciding Decisions in Five Minutes or Less, she shares her process for moving beyond domestic violence into a life full of promise and opportunity. So, Denver, I mean, you are somebody that has, from a personal and private perspective, bared your soul in this book and in in your life. And I want to thank you for being on the show with me today.
0: Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to actually participate.
1: You know, you, in the book, in the chapter that you wrote, you share um, your story about how you came into your own after sexual and domestic violence. Can you share a little bit about how you were able to finally become a decisive woman and make a decision?
0: Um, I think one of the, one of, The things that was most important to me. um, It took a very long time. I was uh, sexually abused very young. I was about five years old. At least I remember that's when it stopped. Um, So growing up. Wait, that's when it stopped. When you were five, it stopped. Yeah, because I went to school. I remember that I was so very excited to finally go to school. So I know that that's when it stopped. I don't really remember when it began or how it began, but what happened is very interesting. When I got old enough to start going through puberty, as my hormones, I think, changed, I started to have short remembrances, kind of almost like visions and dreams type things. And so I remembered that something had happened, but I couldn't really tell you what. And then that thing didn't manifest fully until I got to be an adult when I got married and had my own children, then I realized that that had sort of morphed into this domestic um, experience, which wasn't very healthy for me. But because i had had that previous experience and didn't really know how to explain it, I kind of grew up um, not knowing how to make decisions or how to think for myself. Because a big part of my life at that point was I was a very big people pleaser. I had to make everybody happy.
1: Why do you think that that's how it manifested for you, that you had to make everybody happy? Was it to avoid being abused again, or was it from somewhere else?
0: Um, I think it was more um, just feeling like I really didn't have a strong sense of identity, that pleasing people was the way that I thought I made people happy. And even something as simple as being able to um, write, because I started writing very early. Um, I was about in third grade when my teachers recognized that I was um, a fairly good writer. And even something that simple, when I turned something in and if I got a negative response, for a long time I didn't write. I stopped because I thought that I made people unhappy. So it was, for me, very, very deep, and it was something that I didn't fully understand even.
1: You know, I've only known you as this fearless and realistic and strong woman who makes decisions, right? I've I've not known this other Denver that you're speaking about, but I know what you're talking about in terms of pleasing other people. One of my favorite guests that I've had on multiple t- times is Patricia Knoll. And she wrote a book called Good With Me, and she talks about this idea, um, and she runs addiction centers and and has been a counselor and a therapist for a long, 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 long time. She talks about something called other dependent self-esteem. And when Mm -hmm. I read her book in an early draft of it, I realized that I actually did that without realizing it, that what I thought was strong self-esteem wasn't. It was self-esteem, trying to make other people happy and trying to figure out what they wanted so I can make that happen for them before it happened and I I never realized that concept until I had read Patricia's book in an early draft you guys have to meet I have to introduce the two of you I think you guys would get along famously that sounds great so what was the the major shift for you that was that turning point in your life when you realized you needed to go in a different direction
0: Well, um, in in the book, I talk a little bit about that that one particular experience. Um, I think when I realized that I had very little control over not only myself, but that I could not protect my children, that was the turning point for me. I did not want my children to grow up and feel like they didn't have a voice and that I hadn't kept them safe. That was very important to me.
1: I I would imagine that that is a turning point in a lot of people's lives, but yet there are other people out there that can't seem to break that pattern. What would you you say to them when they're at that point and they can't seem to break the pattern that they're in?
0: Well, I think for me the biggest thing was I never – really lost hope. Deep down, I always understood that I was, I was born for something greater that I, that I could achieve because there were pockets of my life where I had been very successful. I loved to work, for example. I've been working since I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. I always had, you know, a responsible job and those kinds of things. And so those were the things that I kind of held on to. But when it came time for me really to leave, I'd say that I depended more so on my faith. I just, I'd I'd never, I I guess I never thought that I could fail. I mean, just fail. I I felt like God would take care of me. God would take care of my children, but I had to leave. But I also didn't know how difficult it was going to be either because I didn't know what I was facing. I had no idea.
1: You're stepping into the unknown. At that point, completely the unknown. What were you asking yourself when you decided to make that step into the unknown, or were you not asking anything? You just made the leap.
0: Um, the biggest thing was, um, you know, could I could I support could I support my kids? Could I take care of myself? Would I be able to sustain myself? And then when I took a when I took a look back and I realized just trying to keep my family life together, how much effort it took um, basically to please someone else and to do all of these things that were expected of me, Um, you know, running a basic household with three children. I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I was totally dependent on someone else, but at the same time, I had certain responsibilities. When I realized that I was doing it for someone else, I knew I could do it for myself. Deep down, I knew I could do it for myself. I just needed the chance. And I think the other thing that pushed me, um, when I met people, there were people who just by happenstance met me and saw promise in me, and I recognized that. And they, you know, gave me opportunities, and they introduced me to people, and they took, you know, and so that little bit of confidence, I couldn't necessarily make the step for myself but I could because they saw something in me and I believed in them.
1: All right. So somebody believed in you, but I'm going to guess that somewhere in your past, somebody believed in you as well, but now all of a sudden you were able to see it. For those of my listeners out there that are trying to become aware of what's out there for them, how did you all of a sudden gain awareness these people were there trying to help you?
0: I think, for example, when you go to the grocery store and there's that clerk that waits on you every single time and they have kind words for you, that person sees something in you that you don't necessarily see for yourself. I think you just have to understand that that basic human interaction should be enough to inspire you that you are somebody, because I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. At one point, I didn't understand that I was somebody all by myself, and I didn't need a man. I didn't need, you know, something um, to identify with that I could stand alone. And just the smallest um, interactions um, should mean something. It's an internal instinct, I think.
1: But you have to all, allow that we, to come up. We all up. have it. What I'm trying to, to get at, Denver, is you allowed it to come up finally, and that's made you into the woman you are today. And I think that is so powerful and so beautiful, because when I read your chapter in Decisive Women, Designing Decisions in Five Minutes or Less, I didn't know that about you.
0: People never think that about me. But no. my question to them is always, what does an abused woman look like? That's powerful. I, I can't, because people have asked me that. They say, oh, my God, but you don't act like some." But what does a, a abused woman act like? And I remember being, you know, shy in conversations and not being able, you know, to express myself because I just didn't have a lot of, you know, outside interaction, you know, I wasn't working, those things. But really, on the inside, Denver hasn't changed much from the five-year-old that I was.
1: All right, and I with, that, with that note, we're going to have to go into commercial break. We'll be right back with more from Denver, Boyer Haynes. Denver, what does being decisive mean to you? How do you define that?
0: Um, for me, being decisive means that I know what I want. And I know how to go get it. And it also means that I'm not afraid to do the steps I need to accomplish my goal.
1: Now, you shared with us in the first part of the show about how you were abused, how you went from a domestic violence decision, and then one day realized that you were worth something and that you needed to protect your children. And something shifted inside of you and you began to see people who were trying to uplift you, trying to help you. Um, how, how do you go from that to the woman you are today? I mean, did you have mentors in your life that helped you learn to make decisions?
0: Um, initially, um, my decision-making process was probably the hardest part for me. Um, I remember um, having the three kids, and I actually went in the military. That was my escape plan.
1: Later in um, life,
0: right? Yeah, I, I was thirty. I was thirty when I joined the military. It was my escape plan. Um, I had to go through basic training and do all the same things that soldiers did. But I was I was old by by normal standards, so I had you know some unique challenges. And then of course, I had to leave my children um, for a period of time, and so there was some stress involved with that. But at that at that particular time, I I spent a lot of time praying. Um, I really, really relied on my faith. Um, I looked for strong mentors. So I found people who I could talk to and share with, but they they would help me to make simple decisions, even things, you know, career, for example. You know, if I take this step, if I take this job, you know, how will it affect me? And because I, I was a journalist, um, I actually had the opportunity to be pretty close to several really good generals. And I thought about this last night. Um, They gave me some of the best advice. Um, When I was getting out of the military, I was very upset about it because I loved my career. Um, I loved my job. And I had one general who told me, he said, you know what, he said, you're upset now, he said, but I tell you what, you will never be able to have the kind of influence and impact that you'll be able to have on the outside if you stay here at the rink that you are. And that was brilliant advice.
1: Okay, say that one more time.
0: I could do more, and he knew I could.
1: Tell me one more time what he said to you.
0: He said, you will never be able to have the influence and impact that you can have if you stay here at the rank that you are. He says you can do more on the outside.
1: That's a powerful thing for no matter what life you're at, whether, you know, you're meant to do more. Most of us are meant to do more, but just stay where they're at or are afraid to take that next step. And for him to say you need to move on, that's powerful.
0: It was powerful, and I was extremely angry, too, because I was in my comfort zone. I was very comfortable. I knew, you know, where my lights and my water was going to come from. I knew what uniform I was going to wear every day. The kinds the kinds of challenges I had when I first got out, and I only did four years, I didn't know how to dress. Doing my hair was enough to just make me go crazy because I, I liked the simplicity of having someone tell me what uniform to wear and when to report. That was, that was just totally easy compared to trying to figure my own schedule and having three other little people that I have to take care of too. That was just insane. Work was very easy. Um, I had also um, another general that really, really, really mentored me, and he told me, too, he said, um, because I would contact him sometimes when I was comparing jobs and other opportunities, and he said, this is what you do. You get a piece of paper and you write a, you know, make a line down the middle, and for each opportunity, if you stay where you are in, you know, the job that you're looking at, just write down every opportunity that can come up as a result of these opportunities. And then you take the one that has the most because you always want to create more opportunities for yourself. The more opportunities you have, the more opportunities to be successful. And I still use that.
1: That's kind of a, a, a really intriguing way of doing it. I use something like that when I, I talk about questions, right? I say before you actually ask your question out loud in your brain, you say to yourself, if I ask this question, what are the possible answers that I may get? Mm-hmm. And if one of the answers is a yes no question, you immediately throw yes no answer, you immediately throw the question out because it's a dead end. It's not going to take you anywhere. It's pretty much giving right. you the answer you want versus the answers you need, which leave you uncomfortable. And and you just keep going down that decision tree process and you get to the point where you can do this in less than like thirty seconds. So that's what he's telling you to do is Make decisions that give you the most opportunity. So take the moment to step back yep. and look at where you could go if you make that choice.
0: That's pretty cool. But you're cool. always forward thinking. And it, that's, I think, the, the most important thing. In both, in both instances, they were always looking forward. It was not about staying where I was. That was not ever an option.
1: It it was an option, but you chose not to take that option because of what the first general said to you, which is, there's more that's meant for you to do. Yep. So you embrace this idea, it sounds like Denver, of, I'm not going to stay in comfort anymore.
0: Well, I try to find comfort in my discomfort, but what I can tell you is, I am Not afraid of dying, but I'm very afraid of not living a fulfilled life. I always think about what do I want people to think about me or say about me, you know, after I'm gone. And I want them to say that she was one of the most amazing fearless women that I ever met. And that's what I want my kids to to know about me. And I find that in my choices that my kids are empowered to always do more and to think big. And I think that's my legacy. And
1: how old are it's your always children? about my kids. How old are the kids? Um,
0: my daughter's, actually my oldest is 26 today. Oh, happy my birthday. My middle daughter is uh, 24 and then my baby's 22.
1: Well, thank you for being on the show with on your daughter's birthday. We have to give her a shout out.
0: Oh, they live in New York City, so that's all okay.
1: We're on we're on iHeartRadio. They could be listening to us right now on iHeartRadio, all around, uh, right in New York. So, all right, wish your daughter a happy birthday right now before we get ready to go to news break.
0: Okay, Talia, happy birthday.
1: Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Talia. You have an awesome mother. (laughs) And that is probably the best singing you're ever going to get out of me. Um, Forget the fact that I was in Glee Club for six years at the Ursuline School. Um, I don't think I have that voice left anymore. So we're going... (laughs) Thank you for that, Sean. As we go into the news break, everybody, I'd like you to think about this thought that Denver shared with us. What is... The comfort you can find in your discomfort, because it's in that discomfort, that moment you can find comfort in it, that you can change the world and yourself. We'll be right back after the news break with more from Denver Boyer. We are back with Denver Boyer Haynes, uh, who has written an amazing chapter in the book, Decisive Women, Designing Decisions in Five Minutes or Less, and is, is a new friend of mine who I am so proud to know, and she's given me so many insights into the decision-making process. And uh, if you go to the Twitterverse out there, you'll see that Patricia Noll has shared tons and tons of stuff that um, that we've been talking about this morning. So thanks, uh, Patricia, for being there. And you have to meet Denver. So um, I'm going to connect you guys up so you guys can, can chat, because I think that the two of you could do something amazing together for the rest of the world. Denver how did you learn to trust yourself to make good decisions after what you've shared in the book and what you've shared on the air today?
0: Um, I took a series of steps, but I think the, the first place that I started um, my basic fear was not so much of making decisions. It was of making the wrong decision um, and hurting my children or, you know, negatively impacting myself. So it was just a fear of um, choosing the wrong thing, that right or wrong label uh, used to mess me up. Um, once I actually took a step back I spent a lot of time alone, um, and I, I used all kinds of tools. I, you know, meditated. Um, so that I could, you know, kind of build up my my faith muscle. I wrote letters to myself. Um, I wrote letters to others that I thought who had maybe hurt me or done things to me in the past. And through that, I realized that, you know, I was blaming myself for things that I had no control over. I was blaming potentially my parents for things that they didn't know. I was, you know, I had a lot of um, negative feelings that were really kind of unfounded. and But from writing them down and actually getting them out in the open, um, I was able to find a place of forgiveness where I could forgive myself and forgive others. And then I could start to kind of build a new life based on this new place that I'd created for myself. I was creating a, a healthy place where I could start to heal myself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, because I also had a lot of physical ailments, aches and pains, um, that would have held me back as well.
1: Did you start prioritizing which aspects of you you needed to work on, or did they all just start coming together at the same time?
0: For me, it's never. Um, I I don't prioritize, as in create a list for myself. For me, it's very spiritual. Um, the thing that needs to be worked on tends to just step forward for me. Um, it becomes very evident. I started to notice patterns in my life. Similar types of people who would appear at certain times, or opportunities that would appear, you know, multiple times, two or three times. If if the same doctor said this, if a different doctor said the same thing to me three times by the third time I recognized that maybe that's the thing that God's trying to tell me I need to work on. And so I would focus on that. And I just trusted that that's what, that's the universe's way of um, getting me where I need to you know, where I need to be, where I belong, because I, I do think that my path has somewhat been guided. And once I understood that, then there was no no feeling about the experiences that happened to me because those things happened so that I could be um, a help to someone else so that I could enlighten my community so I could help my children because I don't necessarily have to be great, but maybe one of my kids have, you know, some divine purpose. So, you know, I chalk it all up as experience.
1: I know that after my second divorce, which was just a couple of years ago. And, and I never thought I'd be this twice divorced person, especially after having talked about them in my book, what would a wise woman do and talked about them on stages all over the, the country that, you know, I would lose trust in my, in myself. It's not an easy thing to admit you've made some mistakes, especially if it's on a public stage um, or it's affected other people. And, how do you rebound from that? I think that's one of the beautiful things about you, your spirit, and your story, Denver, is that you've learned to trust yourself, and you're sharing that story with other people and saying, it's okay. I mean, I know I felt ashamed, and after my divorce, I, I just went into a hole. I did not want to talk about anything about that because I was embarrassed that I missed the sign. But you
0: know what? The I had the same experience. Exactly. When I got divorced the second time, that was another big eye-opener for me, because this is what I said to myself then. I said, you know what? You are divorced twice. You cannot keep blaming the men in your life. What part did you play? What did you do? What could you have done better?
1: I said all of that to myself. Right. And And I said the same things. And then I'm like, wait a minute! It's not all on me. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was his lesson. Maybe it was our lesson. What parts of it do I need to do something with? But since we have, I have no communication with him at all. I don't even know. I, I, I don't feel like I have closure. I don't know where you felt with some of the things. Well, that's why
0: I did. That's why I did the letter writing, um, because I didn't need. I didn't need his closure. But what I wanted to understand for myself is how I really felt about it. And then I needed to find a place to put that.
1: Did you mail I just the needed letters? a
0: place to put it. Once I put it somewhere and, and, it, and it's safe and out of the way, then I was fine and I was a, available to move forward in a different direction. I also channeled my energy into um, more positive things. I, I took lots of long walks. I built a really strong relationship with my dog, My dogs were my savior at that point, because you know what? There were days I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to get out of the bed. And they always came and they'd take their nose and they'd, you know, kind of hit me on the arm and tell me it's time to go out for a walk. And I had to get up. I had to get up for them and for a long time, because at that point I was becoming an empty nester. So I was, my kids were gone and it was just me and them. And they kept me going.
1: You stepped outside yourself.
0: I had to step outside myself, but at the same time, I realized that I couldn't blame them and I couldn't even blame myself, but I knew I had a lot of work that I had to do. I had to get healthy um, internally, and that meant that I had to reach all the way back to five and put that in in its place. Um, And my family was very, very helpful because we had open discussions about it. You know, my mom and my kids, my dad, you know, we talked about it because it was one of those things. It wasn't even a family secret. My, fam- my, my family didn't know. I mean, they didn't know, but I was five. So, I mean, I didn't even know how to tell them at that point. You know, so by the time I get to the domestic violence part, of course I wasn't going to talk about that. Because, you know, that's even more, you know, that's even more shameful because the first question that people ask you is, why did you stay? You know, you stay because you, you know, there's a certain amount of comfort. You have, you know, financial support and all of that. But, you know, at some point it gets to the point where sometimes, you know, you realize, you know what, this isn't very safe what happens if something happens to me who's going to take care of my kids and that was the thing that kept kept pushing me and once husband number two was gone i was like okay um we're 40 now it's time to start playing and we need to get on with our lives we need to we need to make this life count how can i make it count why would i why would god have given me these opportunities He gave me these opportunities because, you know what, I need to make a difference in my community. I need to help someone else. I need to tell my story so that someone else knows that they can do it and have a wonderful, fulfilled life. And that was the thing that I held on to. But it opened up so many other doors for me. Um, My sense of identity, just who I am in the world and my ability to influence and impact When that general said that to me, I was not, I was at E4 in the military. I had no idea what influence and impact really meant that I could be on the radio today and that somebody might hear me and be somehow inspired. It never occurred to me.
1: When we did the book signing in Orlando a month or so ago, um, you met a friend of mine, Renee Brent. She came in and, and bought a copy of her book. You are living her book right now. She wrote a book that's launching this week actually called How Big Is Your Butt? And it's turning mm-hmm. your big butt, B-U-T, not not the thing on the bottom of your, your body, <laughs> but uh, your B-U-T, you know, I can't do, I can do this butt, you know, and I have to stay with this person, but, you know, I should leave this abusive relationship, but kind of thing. You've turned those big butts into little butts, and her book, How Big Is Your Butt, is such an amazing thing. And working with her, she's a clinical hypnotherapist. She's the one that helped me the most move from where I was sort of stuck with how I felt ashamed after mm-hmm. um, my, my second divorce. And I was stuck in the, the blaming myself for everything, and I can't move on. And my friend Bob Berg, who's been on the show a number of times, he said, "Lori, you are only responsible for how you respond rather than react to a situation. And I just think you've responded so beautifully since you made that choice to be decisive, to step into who you are. And I want to, I just really want to thank you for being that woman.
0: Thank you. I, I do it. I do it without even thinking about it now. (laughs) It's become such a big part of who I am.
1: And, and that shows. It really it comes out in who you are as the woman that I know today, Denver. So um, as we are about to go into commercial break, just share in 30 seconds a step somebody could take to get to the point mm-hmm. you're at where they're not even thinking about how they're making decisions.
0: Um, one of the big things that I'd say is you've got to be healthy. Um, if you know that you're carrying too much weight, maybe it's time to start working on it. If you know you have some illness that needs to be resolved, look at your diet. Look at your exercise. That's a great place to start. Um, you always want to start with an, a clear canvas or, you know, you want to start from a healthy place and then build on top of that, build a strong foundation.
1: That's beautiful. So not only a healthy mind but a healthy body. I can't believe the show is almost over already, Denver. And, um You've know, you been on this path for a long time now. When you were in the military, you were in public relations, you were a spokesperson, a media consultant, and a planner. Um, What was it like becoming a woman in the military in your 30s?
0: For me, that was a very safe space because again, somebody was telling me what to do and that's all I'd ever known. I'd went from my mom's house to getting married and I'd always done what I was told, so I was a fabulous soldier when it came to following directions. Um, where I had challenges was in my personal life, and where I still have, I still have challenges. I'm, I'm not even gonna say I don't. It's, it's always very difficult. For me, when I'm in an unknown situation, see the military, you know exactly who you're talking to. They wear a uniform. They have all kinds of pins and things, and you know what those things mean. You can tell about what kind of education someone has just by looking at them. But when you go out in the civilian world and you meet people who aren't wearing uniforms and they do very different things, it's very challenging um, for me to navigate sometimes.
1: Well, you'd never know it from the outside looking in. And you've, you've touched on a number of different steps and things that you've done to become decisive. Are, are there? Do you have like a particular process that you can share with people who are looking to become more decisive, some things that they can take, their steps to help them become more decisive?
0: Um, again, the first step for me was to get healthy. Um, Because I had to learn to trust my instincts. And if you're kind of on a a faulty foundation, your instincts might not be that great. So I'd say getting healthy is probably the first thing. Um, Also, I've spent a lot of time dealing with myself as a whole person, looking at myself physically, mentally, spiritually, um, and psychologically. Um, Once I understood kind of what my... Um, barriers were, once I kind of faced those things and understood what those um, things meant to me, I could understand how someone might be able to take advantage of me. So I used it to understand myself, but then I started to look in society, the people that I interacted with, and then I looked for the, the qualities that weren't helping me or the qualities that I didn't need to have around me. And I started to surround myself with positive people, mentors and people who would uplift me and help me build my character. Um, I learned to um, realize what made me uncomfortable, and I removed those things. Not that I avoid situations, because sometimes you can't help but be uncomfortable, but I also had to be clear and honest with myself that if I was in an uncomfortable situation, I probably wasn't going to do as well as I would like. And I stopped competing with other people too. The only competition you'll ever find for me is with me. I always want to do better than I did the last time.
1: That's, that's a huge one. Learning to not compete with other people, just competing with yourself. So many people are always trying to outdo one another and it sometimes can be harmful.
0: I just don't think it's very helpful. Um, for me, leaving, that meant I had to take baby steps. I mean, for me, it was literally baby steps. I learned to applaud myself when I made or had small successes, and that was so important because that was what I needed. Um, but I, one of the big, big things for me was learning to um, facilitate a space that would allow me to create opportunities, which meant that I had to clear out all of the negative relationships and um, even my physical space. I got rid of clutter, things I didn't need, things that I've been carrying around for years that brought bad memories back. So if my ex-husband left something at my house, I donated it, I threw it away, or I gave it away because I only wanted things in my space that I decided and chose. I only wanted to purchase things that I loved. I stopped just accumulating things because, oh, well, this vacuum cleaner is pretty good, so somebody might be able to use it. No. If if it wasn't the vacuum that I chose, I didn't keep it. And And that was actually a really tough one for me. Because it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to let things go, especially if you have sentimental value to certain things. Um, I had to learn to let some of that stuff go in order to create room for new stuff. You know, it's like you you close your hand and you ha- you know, have a fist. Well, you can't put anything else in your hand. Your hand's already full. So I looked across my life and I, you know, had to clear out all of those things that were taking up space and, not allowing me to uh, create new opportunities, new friendships, new relationships, new job opportunities.
1: So it wasn't just physical space that got cleared. It was mental space as well. It
0: was everything. It was everything. And it took years. I mean, I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. When I go to the store now, if I buy one item, I have to get rid of two. That means I have to choose something that I'm not wearing, something that doesn't fit well, doesn't matter, but two items have to go for every one I
1: buy. That's that's very different from the one that everybody says buy one, get rid of one. You're saying buy one, get rid of two. I like that. Yep. I don't know if I could do it, but I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just purged all of my, my closets and um, repainted them and, and stuff like that. And I had so many bags of clothes and things and I have some family friends that are moving, and she said, we've been in the house for 25 years, and she said as she was getting to the back of her closet, she found things she didn't even know she had anymore, and I asked her if she got rid of them. She goes, no, I kept them. They were really awesome. I got rid of other things. I went, oh, you shopped in your own closet.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's what happens.
1: It's a beautiful thing. So, Denver, we're coming to the end of the show. I want to make sure people can reach out to you. They can find you if they want to talk to you about... Um, things that you said that move them, or if they wanted to reach out for you for some help in some other way. So, how do people find you?
0: Well, I'm on Facebook, and it's just my Facebook name is my name. Same thing with LinkedIn. And then um, they can message me, or I also have email, and my email address is denverb at hotmail.com.
1: Much easier than spelling out Boye Haynes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, it's, it's Denver B, the letter B, at hotmail.com. Great. And um, you're on Facebook, and you're on LinkedIn. And I, I know that you really have a passion to help people. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, thank you. And one, there's one other thing, too. I encourage everybody to find a daily ritual, some sort of practice, whether it be prayer, meditation, a hobby, or exercise, that also helps to create a positive space for yourself, especially when you're trying to create change.
1: And, and your daily hobby in 20 seconds? Your daily I prayer? paint, okay. acrylics, and I also write. Wow, you paint and you write. You're just a true Renaissance woman. And thank you for Absolutely. your service as well, Denver. Thank you. All right, everybody, this has been one of those shows that has moved me even more than my shows usually do. And I want to thank Denver for being here and sharing her story with us. If you need some help making some decisions, reach out to me. I want to help you. Um, Laura at laurasteward.com. And remember, the right questions truly can change your life. So what are you asking yourself today? Have a great day, everyone.
0: You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.